afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. I'd like to call in the ancestors, my own ancestors, those of our guests, Dr. Edward Tick, and all of the ancestors throughout all of the ages who have been touched by grief, by loss, and by war. I call out to all of those ancestors to listen up, be with us here today, and help us. Help us to find the way, to go forward in a new way, to bring true healing and reconciliation to those who have been touched by grief and loss and war and all that that ravages within our soul, within our hearts, and in the land. So I call out to that deep ancestor, the earth, to be with us here today. Be with us and help us to be practical. Help us to find the path we must walk together on this earth that's becoming smaller and smaller every day as we come to understand there is one family on this planet. And that is the family of humanity. And we must walk this path together. So I call out to the energy of the earth to be with us and help us to be grounded and connected and together as one as we talk here today. And let's each of us reach up to the energy of the sky and call down all of the wisdom of the universe to bring into our proceedings here today that which is generous, that which is blessing that which protects us all and holds us all equally. And let us feel the inspiration in our hearts that there is vision, there is knowing, there is a way to do what hasn't been done to help those who are in need and to be here to share the gifts that we have in a way that those who are in need receive what they need to bring their gifts then to the world. And I call out finally to the hearts, the heart in every single human being. I call out to the energy of the heart that gives each one of us a place to connect to all things, all living things, and to know in our hearts the power of our passion for this life, the guidance that comes down from our mind to bring us clarity for how to shape that passion, and the way that the heart merges these two things together, that each one of us can walk the path we are called to walk in this life. So I call out to the spirit world to be around us here today as we gather in this non-local gathering to discuss healing, grief, and loss from war, and to help us find our way here with this challenge today. We have our guest, Dr. Edward Tick. Thank you for being with us here today. Thank you, Christina. I'm honored to be with you, and thank you for taking on this very important and special topic and relating it to shamanism, and especially as we approach Memorial Day weekend, it's most relevant. So for those of you who don't know, Dr. Tick is the founder of The Soldier's Heart, a veteran's return and healing project addressing the emotional and spiritual needs of veterans, their families, and communities. Soldier's Heart promotes and guides community-based efforts to heal the effects of war based on strategies presented in Dr. Tick's book, The War and the Soul. This book was published in 2005. It is widely available. And um, this work is supported by um, the International Humanities Center. So for those of you who are on your computer right now, 
um, you can go to soldiersheart.net. That's correct, isn't it, Ed? Yes, it is. Okay, and for more information, it's just info at soldiersheart.net or .com? .net. .net, all right. So for those of you that are, are tracking with the information, that's what you need to find Ed's site. Now, in the meantime, though, we've got him live and in person. So um, we definitely want to take advantage of that. So if I have take one more minute here, Ed has been a guest on our show before. It is in the archives under Tick for Guests or under February 25th. Either way, you can get access to the show. And there's a beautiful story in the beginning of the show of Ed sharing with us his journey from being a young man growing up during the Vietnam War and his experience essentially of being drafted into healing the the people coming back from this war, his own journey basically coming to writing War in the Soul in 2005. Because, you know, how do you begin to talk about this in in the world? This is not an easy thing to speak of these issues in a way that people will listen with new ears. And that's, I think, the great genius of your book, Ed, is that people are listening with new ears, finally. And then ultimately, just how he's gotten to a place of pretty much working constantly today to bring the processes described in the book into manifestation in people's lives all over. So instead of spending another show talking about this, which is a beautiful journey, and we talked even more about healing, the healing that warriors people that have experienced war need, download the show. You can get it on the Voice America website in the archives, on my page on the archives, or you can get it through iTunes, whatever is most convenient for you. They are free. They are worth it. So please download it and share it widely with your friends and loved ones. As Ed helped us to understand in the first show, there perhaps none of us are actually living in a way that we are not touched by those who have gone to war and come home, and we need to find a way to show up for these people returning and how to help them to heal, how to help the earth to heal from where battles have happened, how to deal with the spirits of the dead. All of these things are our job as the living. It's not their job as the religious people in our lives. It is our job as the living to show up for these people living and dead. So this is what we're talking about today is... What what Ed has learned from working with indigenous people in various places around the globe, actually, but working with indigenous people about how we can deal in new ways, new for us, perhaps, as Americans, but effective ways of dealing with grief and loss, the way shamanic practices are used to help us with really challenging issues like MIAs. I mean, how horrible. You know, there's no closure. There's... So much frustration around this issue. There's so so many pieces here. And so what I'm going to do today is step back here and let Ed begin to share with us um, what he's found, not just in the healing with the warriors themselves, the soldiers themselves, but what else is going on. It's a really, really big picture. So I'm going to invite Ed now to just begin to share with us the, the bigger picture here about what does it really take to deal with the trauma caused by war? Well, thank you, Christina. With that introduction, I wish we had 12 hours to talk <laughs> nonstop. And, um, of course, we invite our listeners to become involved and uh, call in or send questions by email. We want to hear from everybody. This is so important. 
So, uh, in brief, uh, we in America have a very modernistic, social, scientific, and technological response to war wounding. And uh, everybody knows lots by now about post-traumatic stress disorder. It is in the news regularly, as it should be. And the other wounding of uh, modern wars, the technological destruction that is so overwhelming, the severity of wounds that people are not only receiving but surviving now because of um, medical technology, Um, military sexual abuse, traumatic brain injury, the wounds of war have multiplied. And so many people coming home from the modern wars uh, are wounded in uh, very complex and interrelated ways and carrying many or all of the wounds I've mentioned and more. Now, humanity has known about this wound we call post-traumatic stress disorder since ancient times. We have records of it from Egyptian hieroglyphics, from ancient Greek writings, ancient Roman writings, and in fact, traditional peoples around the world also knew of this wounding, knew that combat was so severe, so destructive, so contrary to the creative and affirming order of the universe that it needed to be responded to with spiritual and shamanic practices immediately upon anyone's exposure. So I've been working in this field. I've been working with veterans and other war survivors um, for 30 years now. And uh, as we shared in our first show together, After about eight years of that work and doing more conventional psychotherapy, um, the best I knew how to do, um, I understood that the wounding of war is so overwhelming, so complex, and uh, holistic to all aspects of our being, body, mind, heart, and spirit, that we needed spiritual and holistic means for responding. Contemporary... So this basically is the piece that I think people really need to come to understand is that we were all trying our best, but we weren't succeeding. And this seems to me to be what you're really sharing is that we need to be willing to move into these other realms. Culturally, we may have been hesitant to move into if we're going to address this problem. Uh, That's correct. That's what I'm declaring. And uh, uh, the world healing traditions teach that Spiritual healing is at the base. It's not. Um, it's not an add-on. It's not extra. It's not ancillary to the real healing that comes from medical or mental health professionals. But rather, spiritual healing has to be at the center. In our contemporary American scene, we tend to treat the mind and the body with psychological and physiological and pharmacological strategies, but we tend to um, ignore the heart, even though there are many heart-centered therapies, we really don't engage the heart, and especially regarding war and veterans, the overwhelming intensity and uh, pain and rage that uh, of the the feelings that veterans and war survivors carry back. Um, So we don't engage the heart deeply and fully enough in our therapies, and we certainly don't engage soul and spirit, um, whether either in our therapies or um, in uh, in our military um, strategies as well. So that, such that um, there are 
There are chaplains and clergy accompanying our troops overseas and treating them upon return, but they are considered ancillary rather than central. And what we discover from traditional cultures is that spirituality has to be at the center of the treatment, and other cultures had ways of doing that. And this, everyone, is what we're going to talk about as we come back from this break, is that this is not a New Age idea. This is an old, old, old idea. It's got history, and it works, that there are ways, reliable, dependable, repeatable ways to engage the heart and the huge emotional complexity of the heart in healing in real practical ways. And so this is what we're going to talk about when we come back from break. Everyone, please join us. And while we're on break, email a few friends and get them to listen because everybody knows somebody who needs to hear what we're talking about today. Thank you all for joining us. Welcome back, everyone. We are here with Dr. Edward Tick, who is the founder of Soldier's Heart. And as the nice lady just said, yes, we are live today. You are welcome to call in at 866-472-5795 or just email us your question at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So what we want to talk about today, because, again, you can go download the show from before, from February 25th, on the Voice American site or at iTunes, free downloads, share them with your friends. Okay. In the meantime, we're going to forge ahead and talk about some really, really interesting work that Ed has been um, invited to participate in in Vietnam. So I'm just going to step back here and let Ed begin to share with us this this incredible work that is allowing closure and some of them and many things and some of the most frustrating aspects of the aftermath of war. So take it away, Ed. Thank you, Christina. Okay. So in our search for holistic and comprehensive healing for our veterans. I began leading healing and reconciliation journeys back to Vietnam in 2000. And I do this annually. My next journey is this November. We will be in Vietnam this year for Veterans Day to honor Veterans Day with uh, veterans from all sides of the conflict, which already shows some of the healing possibilities that entering into reconciliation with the other who was once an enemy and who can now be a friend and compatriot is profoundly healing and brings um, great peace to everyone involved. And I do want all of our listeners to know that the Vietnamese people, being primarily Buddhist and Confucian and having very deep shamanic roots that are older than Buddhism and Confucianism, are profoundly, profoundly loving, welcoming, forgiving, accepting of all Americans. They throw their arms open. They welcome us back. They welcome our veterans back as long-lost brothers and sisters, and they make extraordinary efforts to help us heal. So that's the general context. Um, beyond that, I have been traveling all over Vietnam, and with my groups, we we go to spiritual centers. We work closely uh, with Buddhist priests and priestesses, monks and nuns, using Buddhistic practices. And we also visit with shamans in the, in the countryside of Vietnam. And we have visited places that Westerners have never been before. We've been the, the first white people ever in some of these villages and some of their temples and, and um, spiritual and communal institutions. And we've had the honor of uh, meeting some of their shamans and observing and even participating in some shamanic healing and recovery work that they do in Vietnam. So there, 
the Vietnamese traditions in Buddha, of Buddhism and Confucianism uh, and the older traditions, oh, let me say this, there are, there are four spiritual roots of Vietnamese culture. Though they're, they're 95% Buddhist culture and people call them Buddhist, it's a unique blend of Buddhism with other traditions. The four spiritual roots of Vietnam are Buddhism, Confucianism, animism, and ancestor worship. Animism and ancestor worship go back to before the Bronze Age in Vietnam, before modern religions, and they are essentially shamanic. Animism teaches us that everything is alive, everything has a spirit and a soul, and ancestor worship, as you beautifully called in the ancestors to begin our show, teaches us that those who have gone before are there with us, concerned with us and that there is a visible and an invisible world and that we are concerned with and take care of each other. The Vietnamese traditions, as well as other uh, ancient spiritual traditions around the country, and there's similarities to Native American traditions, to African traditions, to other Asian and Middle Eastern traditions. The Vietnamese traditions teach that we are responsible for the souls who have crossed over, the living and the dead, have ongoing relationships with each other. We, the living, need to help the dead move on in their cycles of reincarnation and travel in the invisible world. And if we don't, the dead can get stuck and we can develop traumatic symptoms. Some of the most troubling symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder which we attribute to psychological or neurological malfunctioning, can be understood as spiritual and shamanic wounds and, in fact, are treated shamanically in Vietnam and in other cultures. And the wounding can be resolved through shamanic practices. And Let me just jump in here really quick. For those of you that don't know what we're talking about right now, there is a show on ancestral healing and why this is an issue and how this ongoing relationship works between the living and the dead in the archives. So download it and listen. But for now, you can continue listening to us. Sorry about that, Ed. But it's a no big, problem. It's a big, That's very helpful. So big let me give idea some examples. for Americans they don't get. And, right. You know, yeah. 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 Okay. So some examples. Um, Tens of thousands of MIA remains have been located in Vietnam by shamans. We have, um, the United States has over 2,000 MIAs, uh, which is terrible and causes great suffering to those families and their communities. However, Vietnam was such a brutal technological war that um, it was inevitable to have many MIAs. And in fact, 2,000 for the horrors of that war and the high late rates of casualties, 2,000, every one is a tragedy, and yet it's a relatively small number compared to the Vietnamese MIAs. The Vietnamese have over a quarter million MIAs from the American War. This is not counting the French and the Japanese and the Chinese wars as well. Um, there is an organization in Hanoi that I've worked with and observed and participated in some of their shamanic recovery practices. Um, it's called UIA, uh, or its initials. It has the, the, the rather clunky um, translation, um, the Science and Technology Union for Information, Informatics Applications. <laughs> that sounds horrible, 
but they had to give it a scientific name, but it's basically an organization of an indigenous Vietnamese shamans who have advanced skills in speaking with the spirits of the dead. And they work closely with MIA families, families they've never met before the family consults with them, and the shamans who are part of this organization go into shamanic trance when the family requests it uh, in order to try to contact the wandering soul of the deceased and gain instruction on in how to find their bodies. Uh, as I said, tens of thousands have been located this way, and the Vietnamese government, which is still officially communist and officially atheist, um, at first tried to suppress this practice, saw how popular it was with the people, and then instead of suppressing it, joined and um, loaned the organization forensics experts to verify these finds. Wow. The Vietnamese government has verified 10,000 MIA remains as the accurate, the real body of the fallen soldier. Wow. Beautiful. It, it's very beautiful, and I met with some of the shamans um, directly and observed some of their practices, and maybe we can talk about those as well. Um, but before we have another break, let me say quickly that, of course, not only does, do families achieve profound peace if they find the missing remains of their loved ones, but some post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms in our soldiers um, demonstrate shamanic disturbance. And our soldiers who have traveled to Vietnam and participated in some of their Buddhist and shamanic rituals have achieved um, healing from their PTSD and relief of very disturbing symptoms, especially nightmares and disturbing daytime visions of the dead. So, Ed, are you saying that so we have U.S. soldiers who part of their symptomology of their PTSD is that they're basically seeing the dead. They're seeing the spirits of, I don't know, the people that they killed perhaps? or yes. and, and that And so in terms of shamanic disturbance, that's really what we're talking about. And so that could be pathologized psychologically, or we could treat it shamanically and say, yeah, because there is a relationship when there is a war between the living and the dead. Of course they're seeing them, and if we don't attend to this in a sacred way, they're going to be stuck seeing them forever. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. And we can work together shamanically to um, embrace that relationship between the living and the dead, even on the home front and even through tr traditional therapies. And we can even take further steps and uh, return to the cultures, as I do return to Vietnam, where um, the violence was perpetrated and participate in that culture's forms of healing. And as we go to this break, let, let me just jump in here and say that, that the fact that a soldier who may be whatever religious persuasion is now struggling with the spirits of the dead they may have killed doesn't have anything to do with that soldier's lack of faith or lack of religious connection. We're talking about something, a relationship more ancient than any religion that was ever invented, which is simply the relationship between the souls of the living and the souls of the dead. doesn't mean you weren't a good Christian or a good whatever. It means this is what happens when we engage in war, and we just have to accept that and join together as all religions and help to fix these people. 
So anyway, that's my little soapbox as we go into this break. So I hope you all will come back um, as we continue with this discussion about how we deal with the challenges of the aftermath of war. Thank you all. Thank you all for joining us. We're here with Dr. Edward Kick, the founder of Soldier's Heart, and that's soldiersheart.net for those of you that want to find it online. And in the break, Ed and I were talking about how it might be good to go into some stories now because one of the things with people that aren't familiar with shamanism is they always think, well, this sounds great, but it must be really complicated. And the truth of the matter is shamanic work is actually really simple, especially relative to the chaos that create is created when you don't do it and the and the suffering that people experience when we, when we don't allow them access to it. So I'm going to, again, be quiet here and let Ed begin to share some stories with us about what this can look like. Okay, thank you again, Christina. Uh, I'd like to introduce this with a story of a healing that is in process. It's not complete yet. This is uh, gives um, testimony to the relations between the living and the dead that result from war. I'm presently working with a Native American vet, uh, veteran. He's from the Kootenai tribe in Montana. He's intending to go to Vietnam with me this fall. He told the story of his first kill in Vietnam. He was a young man in a firefight, unexpected, frightened. He and an enemy faced off maybe only 20 yards from each other. The enemy soldier looked him in the eyes, and instead of shooting, raised his gun to the sky and let our American GI have a chance. Uh, and our GI shot him dead. Immediately he was stricken with grief. That man was letting me live. I could have let him live. And he walked up to the body and fell into a deep despair. His sergeant came over, slapped him on the head, and said, Congratulations, Chief. You just got your first kill. What are you sitting here looking so bad for? And our Native American GI said, I was raised to be a hunter and a warrior in my tribe's tradition. I was taught that I am responsible for the soul of the, pers- the person or the animal I kill. I'm, and I'm supposed to sit with the body and tell the soul why I had to take its life. I'm sitting here in despair because I can't tell the soldier why I had to kill him. It was wrong and I feel horrible. He has been tortured by that memory ever since, and he was going back to Vietnam with me this fall to address the dead there. That's the shamanic relationship that warriors have affirmed since time before time, that when we take a life, we are responsible for the soul. And in fact, the soul of the life taken can become our ally. If it's food we hunt, then we eat the body, and we also imbue the, imbibe the spirit of the animal. And in warfare, traditional warriors were responsible for the souls of those they killed and also could join with the powers of the fallen warrior and increase their own warriorhood powers. This is the, the concept um, behind uh, the shamanic work with the fallen that the Vietnamese are doing. Um, Of many examples, as I said, I've worked with an agency in Hanoi that has a number of of traditional shamans. Um, I attended uh, large group meetings where, goodness, um, we were in a hall in a a very poor section 
of Hanoi where this organization has offices, and there were probably about a dozen shamanic mediums present being directed by a master shaman. And families they had never met before who had MIAs came to the hall and were sitting in small family groups, a family group with one medium. And uh, these people had never met before. The mediums didn't know anything about the families. But upon meeting them, they were invited to go into trance and try to contact the spirit of their lost and fallen loved one. Some of the groups were in silent meditation trying to get to the spirits. Some of the, the shamans were in a deep, deep trance, channeling the spirit of the soldier, giving, uh, telling stories, giving instructions. This was my last battle. This is what happened. This is how I was killed. This is where to go find me. Hmm. And some of the families were at the end of their um, meeting and in tears uh, because they had heard their loved one and the, the medium channeling the loved one gave plenty of evidence demonstrating that the, um, this was really the person. They told details of family story, family history, um, physical looks, belongings they carried that proved that it really was the spirit of their lost loved one who was speaking because the shamans didn't know any of this before. So um, these are how some families in Vietnam find their MIAs. Beyond that, uh, I have many stories from Vietnam of how people um, achieve peace after um, lost life. Um, as we said, um, nightmares and visions of the dead are shamanic messages, if we take the spiritual interpretation, rather than mental illnesses or psychopathology. So. Here's one story. Um, the aunt of a friend of mine in Vietnam, um, her husband, my friend's uncle, was killed during the American War. This woman had a repeating dream where she saw her husband appearing before her night after night. He didn't speak, but he shivered with wet and cold and looked like he was wandering in confined rest. And in fact, in Vietnam, they have a term for this. They call um, they call them wandering souls, Ko Han in Vietnamese. Wandering souls are people who were killed violently, whose bodies were lost, and because they were killed with, by violence and not given proper ritual, they're stuck here. They're stuck in between the worlds, and they can't cross over. So this uncle was a Ko Han. The aunt consulted a family elder who worked in the shamanic tradition, the elder advised her that the dream indicated that her husband was a wandering soul who needed a home. The family then went and built what Vietnamese call a ma yao, um, which is translated as windy tomb. It's an empty tomb that is treated as if it has a body inside, and all of the rituals for, for death are given at the tomb as if they were burying the body. And then the Vietnamese also have a holiday every year. It's one of the most sacred days of their year. It's called the Day of Wandering Souls. It occurs on the 15th day of the seventh lunar month every year. The whole country shuts down and everybody goes to the windy tombs and does prayer and speaks to their ancestors and leaves uh, food offerings. 
After building this windy, windy tomb, the ants' disturbing dreams ceased permanently. They've never returned. Another friend of mine in Vietnam um, had a miscarriage and then had a healthy baby born after the miscarriage. She had continual nightmares of a second baby coming and pushing her living baby off the breast and taking the breast instead. She consulted a shaman who also said, this baby is a wandering soul trying to get in touch with mama, build the baby a tomb, a windy tomb, treat the baby as your own. In Vietnam, in fact, um, even if children die, the parents for the rest of their lives say, I have two children, not one, or three children, not two. They count the, the children who have deceased as their children as well. And likewise, after the family built the baby a windy tomb, the nightmares ceased. We use the same healing practices for some of our veterans. So um, some of uh, Americans may have heard of Chulai. Chulai was the first significant battle in 1965 between newly arrived American Marines and Viet Cong. Uh, there is a windy tomb built for an American MIA at the monument to the uh, at Chulai where the battle was held. An American family who lost their son, who, whose son went missing at Chulai, built a windy tomb for their son there. We also, when my group visited Chulai, we, were, we had um, an American nurse um, who was with us who had served on the hospital ship USS Sanctuary off Da Nang, and she was very, very close with a Vietnamese girl she was treating who had lost both legs in an American bombing. Um, relatives of the girl, while she was still under the nurse's care, um, came and took her off the ship. And our nurse has been haunted ever since, believing that the girl died without getting full medical care. Maybe she had been abandoned or there was no way for her to live. But she had these same kinds of disturbing dreams. And we went to Chu Lai, which was near where she had served, and built a windy tomb there with full ceremony. Um, now, this is a remote monument, and local people don't usually visit it. When we were building this windy tomb, suddenly, surprisingly, eight Vietnamese children showed up, surrounded the American nurse, asked to help build the tomb, and took her hand and hugged her and prayed with the nurse. The Vietnamese around us um, said they had never seen children visit this site before, ever. And also, while we were performing this ceremony, our nurse was surrounded by dragonflies flying around her head over her shoulders, and one landed on her left shoulder. And when we left, the dragonflies stayed there until we got to the end of the cemetery and the monument site, and then stayed in the site. And likewise, like the Vietnamese tell, this nurse's nightmares ended, and she felt at peace and like she had honored the soul of her beloved friend. One other story, um, I try to squeeze it in before our break. Mm. Uh, an American veteran named Bob went back to Vietnam with me twice, and Bob was very troubled with visions of the dead that he saw all the time, people he killed, uh, people he lost from his unit. Um, so he saw the visions 
during waking life. He had these nightmares. He had many, many other PTSD symptoms. When we went to Vietnam, his visions and his nightmares continued. We used all of these practices and others to bring peace. We visited the, the site Bob fought at it in the jungle. We were the first Americans back since the war. Bob was welcomed as a long-lost friend of the village. We met some peop Vietnamese people who had served on his base, so he restored old friendships. We went to the places he fought, and he picked up 14 remembrance stones for people from his unit, comrades from his unit who had died, and he prayed for each one. We went to local cemeteries, and he prayed over the Viet Cong dead, and especially he was especially troubled by um, nightmares of a 14-year-old Viet Cong boy who was the first enemy soldier he killed. We prayed over the Viet Cong um, in the Viet Cong cemetery and especially over their young graves. Um, and he looked for the graves of boys and, and girls who had fallen during the war. We then um, did philanthropic work, and Bob gave back to the living and. Um, and helped fund the building of a school and um, supporting Vietnamese school children going through school. So he was contributing to the living children. And then we went to a sacred mountain called Black Lady Mountain. Many veterans who serve there will know of this mountain. Um, there's a Buddhist pagoda at the top of the mountain. There was terrible fighting during the war, but it's been a sacred site for many centuries. And we went up to to the top, uh, to the pagoda there, and we asked the monks if they would perform their special ceremony for the wandering souls in honor of the boy who died and the other Viet Cong that Bob had killed. We performed that ceremony. The, the monks were happy we were there and happy to help us. They performed this ceremony for the wandering souls. And during the ceremony, Bob had a beatific vision of the boy coming to him, instead of ravaged and bloodied from combat, the boy was all healed, glowing with inner celestial light, with his arms open and spread, and he embraced Bob, and Bob felt the boy entering his heart and becoming one with him, and saying, from now on and forevermore, I am your spiritual ally and helper and friend. I'm at peace. I want you to be at peace and know that we walk together serving peace and healing for the rest of your days. And that was the end of Bob's nightmares forever. Mm. That was six years ago, and he hasn't had a nightmare since. He's reconciled with his wife. He's reconciled with his alienated children. He finished college degrees. He's got a steady job. He works as a volunteer with other veterans. He's an upstanding member of his community. His PTSD is completely healed. I squeezed They're in a lot of stories nice there. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the possibility that we are talking about. In fact, if we engage in these shamanic means, it's a probability. And so my question to everybody out there who knows anybody who's doing anything to stand in the way of creating these opportunities for our own veterans, why? <laughs> like, why would anybody stand in the way of being able to create for people this opportunity that is so graceful and so gracious and so honoring of the living and the dead when it can bring peace, and not only peace, but Bob's a productive member of society now. He's not on the dole. You know, this, this benefits everybody, not only in the heart, 
I mean, obviously in the heart, as I'm sitting here wiping my eyes from this exquisite story, but in the practicality of life, in the intelligence of life, in 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 all realms, this benefits us. So as we we have a few more minutes here on the show, we're not actually going to go to the third break because we're cooking with all four burners right now. Oh, so, you know, what is it that we need to begin to do? We've got people listening. They're riveted. What do we need to begin to do to begin to apply these practices here in our world? Well, we have to affirm certain spiritual principles that shamanism teaches. There is a visible world and there's an invisible world. We have souls. We have spirits. Our souls and our spirits have life that passes beyond us in ways we can't see and can't fully understand. We are responsible for creation, preservation, and for the destruction we do. And if and when we destroy, we become profoundly responsible for the lives we've taken. And our soldiers, and in fact all of us, um, become traumatized and disordered to the extent that we do not fulfill our spiritual responsibilities for becoming agents of death and destruction. However, shamanism teaches us how to travel in the spirit world, how to honor the ancestors, that we can do time-honored rituals like we're discussing today, or even create simple rituals of our own, or replicate the recipe that are in the rituals in our therapy work, to honor this intimacy that is created from war and violence and transform it from a negative intimacy that alienates from life into a positive intimacy where we take responsibility for what we've done. Let me just give one more example of making peace with the dead that didn't happen in Vietnam overseas but only happened in the therapy room in a more conventional way to show how we can take these lessons and apply them even in our more modern social scientific um, world. Uh, One man I worked with had been a medic on a remote fire base. This is another Vietnam veteran. I don't only work with Vietnam vets, but we're concentrating on these lessons from Vietnam um, today. Uh, This man said, I touched more dead bodies in one year during my service, then I've touched living people my entire life. And he, too, was ravaged by nightmares of the dead. Uh, he didn't... This uh, I worked with him before I went to Vietnam, and he was a devout Christian and didn't want to try uh, other religious or spiritual traditions. But it's really easy to bring some of our shamanic practices into counseling or psychotherapy setting. So what we did together was take his nightmares and the memories they evoked one at a time and affirmed, he was able to affirm, I have an ongoing spiritual relationship with the the people I treated in the emergency room uh, on my firebase, the the people who died. And he had felt like he had not served some of them very well or had betrayed some of them by not being honest that they they were dying, not being able to get them out of pain, not carrying messages back to their families, whatever. Um, So we we did, um, we, for two years, we spent 
just about every single session, week after week after week, taking one of his memories, one of his nightmares, and through imaginal dialogue and guided imagery, which are shamanic techniques, um, he visited with the soul of that dying GI from his fire base. And he had to finish his business with each person and see what they wanted from him, say a prayer for me, please tell my family I died well, visit the Vietnam Wall in Washington and um, honor my memory. Or most often they said to him, go on living and live for two, live for me as well. Look at the world through my eyes as well as your own. Well, it took two years, but we finally cleaned out his emergency room. There were no dead left, and his nightmares slowed down and finally stopped. And he achieved full reconciliation, felt like he had fulfilled his responsibilities to all of the American fallen he had treated. And again, like Bob, transformed, became peaceful, reconciled with his in his marriage, in his community, in his job, and um, and actually changed professions and entered into a service profession so he could give healing to others. So this is an example of keeping the strategies more along conventional psychological um, practices that we're very familiar and comfortable with in our culture, but still using those spiritual principles. I'm responsible for the lives I helped over, my responsibility continues, the soul stays with me until I help that soul finish its business here. And we are concerned with each other and have to take care of each other for the rest of our days. Thank you, Ed. So everyone, we're not done with this conversation. In honor of Memorial Day on one hand, and in honor of simply how important this is for us to talk about, for us to to understand this, and for us to begin to transform our way of attending to these issues in our lives. Ed will be back next week. And I think next week we're going to start with defining what are our responsibilities as the living with the dead and go forward from that place to talk about what Ed has learned from indigenous people about how to um, deal with those responsibilities in a good way so that all, all things, the living and the dead, are brought to a place of reconciliation. So this is next, our next week's show. So everybody, send those emails out, and let's get everyone we know who needs to hear this information listening in a next week's show. So I have deep gratitude to you, Ed, for being with us here today. And to you, Christina, for keeping spirit alive in our challenged world. And gratitude to all of those courageous warriors who have gone back to do what is enormously courageous work, which is to heal. Yes. Hugely, hugely courageous. And I give thanks to the ancestors for being with us so powerfully here today, to the energy of the earth and the sky and the power of our hearts that unite us all. May we all go forward in a better way today, able to love and to be intimate and to recognize, if we recognize one thing today, recognize what Ed has said, that there is a possibility at all times in life to be spiritually intimate. Not just physically, not just emotionally, but spiritually intimate with those things are visible and invisible in our world. So come back next week and we'll continue this amazing conversation about war and the soul and the possibilities of healing with Dr. Edward Tick. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Christina. Thank you all for listening.